With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's Tuesday, April 21st, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Paul, good to talk to you. Uh, still, uh, still in quarantine, still isolated, but you know things feel like they're starting to move towards, you know, a position of maybe, maybe at some point we're going to get a date here that the teams can start uh, focusing on and, and targeting for uh, a possible return uh, once plans are decided and, and things like that. Uh, the latest, I, I, I guess, news from around baseball is the. Uh, the decision that the sort of the contract, uh, the players, uh, not not players, but the, the folks who are under contract but not players uh, are, can ha- can go on furloughs and, and have their salaries cut uh, after a decision by the league. Uh, and that includes like managers and general managers and, 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 and folks like that. Yeah, I mean, and you've seen, you know, different, uh, the Padres, uh, their front office has taken cuts. Uh, MLB, the commissioner's office, has taken, you know, the high-ranking guys there, taking payroll cuts up to 35%. Different teams, and, and different teams have said, you know, no cuts. Uh, there's like, I think there's like 17, 18 big league teams who have said, you know, they're going to keep paying everybody through May. Uh, the Indians right now are, are paying people through, as far as I know, are, are paying people through April. And they are discussed. I think there's going to be some discussions. What happens after that? And and I've seen things where you know, like folks who are making sixty thousand dollars or under aren't affected by cuts. Only only that's only happening to uh, you know payroll cuts. were only happening to the the upper echelon folks uh, within organizations. But I guess, like you said, it, it it's it's based on you know, team by team basis. It's something that they can decide. It's not, not something that's like a league wide mandate. It's it's up to the team, you know, if they can, they can pay everybody all year if they want. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I guess uh, a lot, so much depends on whether they, they get the season up and running and, and can uh, create some revenue. Right. And that would come, uh, you know, almost exclusively, I guess this year, if, if they don't have fans in the stands in the major league parks, then all that revenue would come from TV, radio, uh, you know, advertising, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It, 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 there, there wouldn't be any sort of money from those gate sales. Yeah, you, you think about it. no, no, you know, luxury box sales, no 
concessions, no parking, no ticket sales, uh, no, you know, no signage. I don't think, you know, they're, if they're not playing in, in, uh, you know, the big league ballparks, uh, now I don't know if they'll slap some signs up and new signs up in spring training or mm-hmm. wherever they play these games. But, uh, you know, the, the, there's a big, uh, there's a big revenue hole and I'm sure, you know, most of it is, or at least some of it, the, the, their main source right now is, is going to be TV and uh, the media contracts. Right. And, uh, you know, are we at a point yet where, uh, and this is obviously small potato stuff considering the, the, the big scope of what coronavirus has done to, uh, you know, the world and, and the country, but are we at a point where we need to start worrying about whether the league as a whole can survive survive this epidemic? Uh, I mean, no institution seems to be immune to, uh, you know, the effects of this. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think that I don't see a team teams folding after this, mm-hmm. you know, or, or moving. I, I think, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, most of the, most of the owners of, of, of big league ball clubs, you know, they don't even use their own money. They, they're just gen- use the money generated by the league. So I would think most of these guys got deep, deep, deep pockets. You know, there are some teams like we know, you know, the, the Mets are kind of financially shaky. I don't know what that would do to the Mets if they don't play the whole year, but well, I, they just, I would imagine. Just bring in, Mets are just going to bring in A-Rod and J-Lo, right? That's the, That's that was right. the, the report yesterday. <laughs> but I, I would think the league would support its, uh, you know, if, if there is a team in trouble, the league would support its, its you know, it, that, that team. I mean, they kept, yeah, the Montreal Expos alive for how long they kept them, uh, you know, so uh, and kept moving them around. I mean, everybody paid for the Expos, so um, every team did. So I, I think there's a way that I, I don't think it's, you know, you're going to see a team uh, just close, close down for business. Maybe those teams will get sold, but I don't think that's going to happen. In uh, a letter to baseball ops employees yesterday, Rob Manfred said, I fully anticipate baseball will return this season. Uh, that, according to Jeff Passan from ESPN. Uh, so, I, I mean, you hear, you know, out of one corner of the mouth that that we're talking about furloughs and reductions in pay for for employees, and then out of the other corner, he's he's saying, I fully expect us to return. Uh, there's there's at least a a little bit of hope in in, in something like that, correct? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I think, Joe, uh, we were talking before we, we started the podcast, um, you know, about the uh, there's, there's baseball starting in Korea. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's some valuable lessons that uh, MLB can learn. They can sit back and, and watch how, how this unfolds. You know, South Korea got a handle on the virus pretty quickly and, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, flattened the curve you know, well enough so that, you know, right now they're, they're, you know, they're in, they've started their exhibition season. And I think what the regular season is supposed to start when? May 5th. May 5th. Uh, they've got, you know, a lot of regulations in place that, you know, that we could see in, in the big leagues. Right. I, and, you know, one thing that, that was talked is being talked about with this Korea plan. Uh, if anybody tests positive uh, on any of the teams, the 10 teams in the league, uh, they will immediately suspend play for three weeks, and all teams will lose 18 games. But they're still planning on playing a full 144-game schedule for them, and they're going to extend their playoffs into November 
I believe the the month of November is going to be all playoffs and all playoff games would happen in uh, one of their dome stadiums in a centralized location for, for all teams. Uh, so yeah, you know, that sounds like a plan that, that could be a model could be something that the, that major league baseball could look at. But again, like you said, Korea was far and away uh, ahead of, you know, any other country in terms of taking measures to, to stop the spread of coronavirus. And they're still on this much of a, you know, sort of walking on eggshells, you know, position uh, with the virus. And, you know, the United States is, is far from getting to that point yet. Uh, yeah, so you know, Korea is such a much smaller country. Right. You know, and uh, but I, I like some of the, uh, you know, the safeguards they've taken. Like, I, um, you know, each player would have to get their temperature taken twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd have to fill out uh, a daily uh, a daily health uh, app that they'd have, how they're feeling. You know, the players, you know, staff and players would, would have to wear masks, you know, any almost all the time. Uh, except on the field and in the dugout, no spitting, mm-hmm. no spitting allowed. And the umpires will have to wear masks. The umpires yeah, will wear masks the umpires on the field. would have to wear masks. No physical contact between umpires and and players. Um, well, well, well yeah. wait a minute. I thought you get tossed if you if you bump an umpire. If it, it That's right. So you know, I I think those are some things we could see if baseball comes back. You know, in in in, in the in the big leagues in the United States and in Canada. I just go back to what it's going to, the thing that's going to, that's going to absolutely drive me crazy is going to be what it's going to be like if we're watching games on TV and there's no fans in the stands and we can hear everything that's going on. Uh, We've never heard Tito, you know, manage a game. I'm sure that there, there are things that are are said or, 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 you know, barked back and forth. That would be fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, you, it, it'd be like a spring training game. I, you know, like uh, sometimes in spring training, there's nobody in the stands. Mm-hmm. I remember once when Kenny Lofton uh, was yelling at an umpire, and the umpire said, one more word. You know, you could hear it plain mm-hmm. as day. One more word, and you're out of here. And, right. and you just, uh, you know, and other times I remember, uh, like, it's like a B game almost in spring training. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember Corrales. Uh, yelling at Ramon Romero, his hat kept falling off during <laughs> when he was pitching, and and Corrales yelled at him, "Put a spike in that hat!" And so it was just like, to get it to stay on. Yeah. Oh so, wow. So it was, you know, you can hear all that stuff. So that that'd be pretty good, right? And you know, I'll, I'll bet you that would be a, a, a it could be a positive for the league. It could be a positive for baseball to sort of you know peel back uh, that that layer of exposure for the the fans or it could be a negative and you could really boy wouldn't it be terrible if somebody like Mike Trout you know turned out to have a potty mouth <laughs> yeah. and, and that you know it, and that got exposed I, I I can't imagine it's the case but you know maybe, maybe they have a delay on everything oh like they would have they would have to have a button wouldn't they yeah wouldn't yeah. they have to have a button <laughs> oh but but you but you that, that would be like uh, I'm sure people at the old stadium that's you know they they can relate stories to that when there's <laughs> three two thousand people there they could hear everything going but on. He, but even at the old stadium and even with two two thousand people would still make enough noise to to sort of you know cancel some stuff and 
at the old stadium, you were so spread out and so far, the, the dugouts were, were far enough from the field. You know, there, there was enough foul territory and, and, and enough of a spread where, at least from the stands, you couldn't necessarily hear everything. I just, wow, that was... Uh, just the idea of, you know, hearing the sounds of the game w- would be different. And that would be amazing. I, I think I, one of the reasons why I can't wait for to to see what happens. Um, all right, let's, uh, let, let's, uh, take a second here to mention subtext, uh, Indian subtext. If you want to subscribe, uh, the number is 216-208-4346. And you can, uh, send a text to that and, 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 sort of register, sign up, three ninety nine a month. Uh, you get inside uh, information, texts, uh, you know, thoughts from Hoinsey, from myself on a daily basis. Uh, you can have conversations with us, ask us questions, and it's the exclusive way to get que- uh, questions answered and asked here on uh, the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, Hoinsey, uh, we had a, a guy respond, uh, Mike Fumick from Avon, responded to uh, our – podcast last week where we had Adam Simber on uh you know and he uh he he wanted a little bit of a reality check here with with Simber uh talking about how as long as he's throwing in the mid to upper 80s he's a one-trick pony uh you know he's he's been around the league more than twice he's going to get lit up that those kinds of things uh consider the most top-notch high schoolers throw in the the low 90s uh so not a lot of complimentary things and he, he said something in here about how he's not going to be used a lot uh, during the season. I said, well, wait a minute. He was used – Tito brought him out there 68 times last year. I think he yeah, was – led the, led, the, led the team in appearances. Yeah, I was going to say, Tito hasn't been, been shy about using him. Uh, and and I, I would take uh, – I would disagree with the, uh, the take that uh, Simber is not effective. I think he can be very effective against right-handed hitters, and uh, especially with the, uh, the movement that he has. Uh, I – I, I would like to see him, you know, continue to get chances to go out there. Uh, it was only during the uh, the second half of last season, like you said, when his mechanics sort of got out of whack that that things sort of fell apart for him. Uh, just your take on if if Adam Simber can can be effective this this season in, in some sort of role for the Indians? Yeah, I think he can, Joe. I think uh, you know the th- the new three batter rule uh, kind of comes into play with him, mm-hmm. you know, because ideally he's a right on right guy. With uh, with that motion, uh, lefties hit 296 against them last year. Righties 257. Um, you know, and and he was he was streaky. You know, he he was streaky. I think, uh, but I think there's a spot for him. I think he can get lefties out. Um, you know, especially like you said, uh, with, when his uh, mechanics broke down and his arm slot dropped like nine inches. Right. Um, you know, I think he's worked hard during the winter and and. Uh, in spring training, he looked good. He had a you know decent spring. Uh, I think uh, I think he's he's going to be. I think they like him. First of all, he's got a funky motion. He gives you a different look, and that's always important. Not coming out of a bullpen, and they control him for a long time. So it's not like uh, I think I think he has room to improve, he, and I think he will. This is from uh, Dan Dean mm-hmm. from Chicago. He goes, when I read recaps from different sports, I notice there are words unique to that particular sports sport that don't cross over. Specifically, I'm thinking of the word poppycock. 
in, in baseball. Mike, Mike Sosha used that to describe an angel's loss due to, an, to officiating one time. In basketball, they use chippy if teams are physical with, the, with each other. Any idea why these words uh, stuck around in these sports? What about the NFL? Why don't these pro athletes use anything stronger? Poppycock, poppycock seems pretty lame. Uh, yeah, I, I think poppycock would be more a, uh, you know, attributed to Mike Socha's uh, sort of eccentricities uh, as as a as a guy himself. He was he was just being uh, you know unique in that regard. Uh, yeah, I don't know as far as the uh, you know using chippy in basketball. Uh, that's a euphemism. That's just a, a polite or nice way of, of saying something that's not uh, not necessarily a nice thing. You know, you don't want to go out there and say the guys hate each other and they want to beat each other up. So, yeah. uh, I mean, this this of course leads to the the whole discussion of you know unwritten rules and things like that in, in baseball, where where uh, you know uh, perceived slights and things like that. I just watched. What did I watch the other day? I watched a. A YouTube highlight video that that broke down the whole. It went back and broke down the whole Hunter Strickland versus uh, Bryce Harper. Uh, oh yeah, uh, you know thing. And it, it went back to the very first time that that Harper homered off a of Hunter Strickland. And then uh, it was I, I think it was John Boy, uh, one of the guys on on Twitter who sort of first broke the the Houston cheating scandal with the uh, the banging on the the trash cans. Right. Um. And he. Uh, he was breaking down this this Harper versus Strickland thing, and he's he's showing he's pointing out how when uh, Strickland threw at Harper the first time, he had told Buster Posey that he was going to do it, and Buster Posey told him don't do it. And when Harper charged, they he showed the wide shot video. And, oh yeah, and and Posey's just standing behind the plate not doing anything, and Madison Bumgarner who's a guy who will fight and, and argue, you know, for, for any reason whatsoever when, when you cross the line on one of these, these sort of, uh, you know, unwritten rules. He stayed in the dugout while everybody else on the team went and, and charged him. So that just tells you what they thought of Hunter Strickland at the time. Uh, but I, I just thought that whole, that whole breakdown was fascinating to, to see the evolution of where that, that whole beef came from. So I guess when you're talking about, you know, using – colorful language or using terms or phrases that that are, are unique to baseball uh, you know things like uh these these unwritten rules and these uh it, it all comes into play and uh you know I, I think the game is moving away from that you saw last year with the whole bat flip controversy and, and all that that the game is definitely skewing towards the younger guys who are, are more uh more into allowing things like this to to, to go on yeah, I, I, you know, I've I've covered baseball for a long time. I, besides Mike Socha, I've never heard anybody say poppycock. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 almost like he was watching Monty Python videos yeah. the night before, and that's that's something that might have carried over. I mean, here that's the thing. We know that managers, especially you know old school guys like uh, you know guys have been around for a while like Tito and and Socha, you know. Uh, they don't have a lot to do when they get back from the park at night. So they watch a lot of Netflix. So maybe Socha was watching, uh, you know, Monty Python's flying circus on, on Netflix the other uh, night before. And, and that's where he came up with that for an interview. 
I think, yeah. When he I used mean, that, when he used that word, he was just pissed off. That that's yeah, yeah. that's I the think, Yeah, the one word that that really kind of is kind of in that same vein though that sticks in baseball is lollygag. Lollygag. There you go. He, he lollygagged his way down to first base. Doc Edwards loved that word. He he would all, he used that word, and then what in Bull Durham? Bull that, Durham. What does it, it make us? Well, a bunch of lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. <laughs> that's, that's great. We could do. We could literally do a whole podcast on, uh, you know, phrases or you know things that that have come about uh, in baseball because of movies and and you know you, one of the um what's the what's the phrase that uh, that Serrano utters uh, you know in in Major League that hats for bats yeah it's just things like that it's just uh, you know it's. Uh, those have entered the baseball lexicon through the movies. Yeah. So it, it, that's, that's pretty fun. This is from uh, Texas Tribe from Maple Heights. If the Indians play the season in Arizona, would any of the games start in the morning? It would be cool in the morning, and the games would start at 1 p.m. in Cleveland. I, I would imagine if they're talking about playing doubleheaders, they would have to start – some I mean, sort of something, something early, right? Yeah, I would, but I was looking at that. I mean, you start a game at, I mean, it's a three-hour difference, so you'd have mm-hmm. to. If you're talking about watching a game at one one p.m. in Cleveland, have to start at ten o'clock there, out in Arizona. I mean, it's already you know eighty-five to ninety out there by then. So, right. you know, I you I don't know. Like I mean, you have to start a game like at six in the morning to, for right. it to be cool in Arizona and and nine in and nine in Cleveland. I don't think you're going to see many six a.m. first pitches, no matter what where they play those games. Well, and that's why, you, you, like you mentioned, the the idea of maybe bringing Texas into play here, if if Texas is a viable option, uh, they've got two dome stadiums and, and um, two major league dome stadiums there. Uh, maybe those could be used as neutral sites uh, as, as well for both Florida and, and Arizona. Yeah, definitely. I, that was the latest I saw last night that, uh, you know, MLB was kicking around the idea of playing the games in three states like Florida, Arizona, and, and Texas. That would bring, you know, five big league ballparks in into play. Uh, and they're all – four of them – all five are domed. So, right. you know, that would uh, – that would maybe ease the, uh, you know, ease the number of games that would have to be played in, in Arizona or in Texas even, when, and Florida too during the day when it's so hot. So, um, well, you know, I guess it's another option. I mean, what did what did uh, what did Manfred say? We've got a lot of pl- a lot of ideas, but no plans, no concrete plans. <laughs> well, uh, maybe that's another idea. Well, uh, you know, this brings up the question in my mind. Uh, as far as the spring training parks themselves are concerned, and you're much more familiar with them, uh, you know, than I am, but, you know, are these parks, you know, set up to or equipped to handle uh, a majority of major league games? I mean, they, they, they see maybe 15 to to 30 games uh, a summer or a spring for, for spring training, but those games really don't, don't mean anything. And, uh, you know, like you said, the, the the high sky and the the air in Arizona makes the you know uh, will we'll turn a pop a pop up into a home run. We're, we're going to see uh, outrageous offensive numbers that are are going to count if if we we're playing games out there. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the ball flies in Arizona. There's no doubt about it. It's uh, dry. It's hard for pitchers to throw breaking balls. Uh, you know, the ball doesn't break. Uh, you know, it's in the it, – but I think, you know, if, if they can play, they're going to play, and that's just something that they're going to bite their tongue over for a year and then hopefully get back to normal. But, uh, yeah, it would the, – the weather and, and the, you know, the, the infields, you know, are like – are going to be like concrete. The ball's going to fly through the infield. So, uh, yeah, it, I, I, it would definitely be a hitter's, a hitter's uh, paradise, I think. Well, yeah. and that's another thing that – going. Another thing that Manfred, you know, wants to see is more offense. So I guess it, you wouldn't even need to use the uh, the juice baseballs, would you? That's uh... no. I mean, hey, we yeah, we wouldn't we they they wouldn't need to uh, another controversy over the ball. All right. Uh, hey, just uh, you know, wanted to take a, a a second to mention we we continue to to look back at uh, you know this day in Indians history and 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 you know events that have, have taken place. Uh, what do you think of yesterday's, uh, you know, um, Eddie Murray uh, uh, take on the uh, the game from '94 back in Minnesota? What do you remember from from covering that series with uh, with Eddie Murray? Uh, he he passed Mickey Mantle at the time for the most switch hit home runs uh, in a game. Uh, you know, two two homers, one from each side of the plate in a game. He had done it 11 times in his career. Uh, that that's since been surpassed by uh, several players. I think Carlos Beltran has done it. Uh, Nick Swisher and Mark Teixeira hold the record now with, I think, 14 or 15 games each uh, with a yeah, home, run, I mean, home run from each side of the plate. The thing I remember about Eddie in Minnesota is he got his 3,000th hit there right. uh, in, at the Dome. And, uh, you know, it was just a ground ball through uh, between second and third. And, yeah, his, his 3,000th hit was boring. Yeah, and, and but you know what? <laughs> Albert Bell didn't score on that play, and Eddie Eddie is still upset. I think Albert was on second; he stopped at third, and I and then like this is like twenty years later. I see him at the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, I'm talking to him, and he goes, "You know what? Albert sh- still should have scored on that ball. <laughs> he was still." It's amazing how 20 years later, these guys still live in the moment from, from something like that, and they remember the exact play. I, it, it, was he saying he cost me an RBI? Is that what he did? Yeah, he oh. said he should have scored. I don't know if he was just mad that he oh didn't score. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, guys, the guys, as soon as he hits first base, he becomes immortal, and all he's worried about is whether or not the guy scored. That's, that's great. That's great, <laughs> but that's the kind of guy he was. He he's, he was he was like E. F. Hutton when he spoke. Everybody listened. You know, it was uh, you know he would only talk like two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. But when he did, he was it was it was really it was an education to listen to him because he was you know he knew so much baseball. He had such a great uh, backstory to him. You know, uh, he grew up in in L. A. with uh, I think eight brothers and sisters. He learned how to hit by hitting bottle caps and, and Frisbees. And, you know, and that's why he took all those weird swings. You, if you watch him in, in, in BP, he never, like, tried to hit a home run. He was always, like, you know, hitting the ball the other way. He was, like, getting working on bloops, blue pits, just, you know, real ugly swings. And that's what he did during the game. Right, yeah. Like you said, he, he, he did not have the most aesthetically pleasing swing from either side of the plate. And it, it, sometimes it was amazing – that, that he was able to drive the ball the way that he did. You know, he hit more than 500 home runs, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, three and, over 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. I, I remember him standing behind a cage 
um, in, in spring training down in Winter Haven, and uh, Bartolo Colon was throwing. And uh, this is when Bartolo was young and a little wild. He was throwing about 110 miles an hour. And you could hear the, the ball, you know, whistling, you know, sizzling as it crossed right, the plate right. with the strings. And, uh, and uh, you know, Eddie was sitting behind a cage and he wouldn't hit. He wouldn't hit for the first two weeks or for the first week of camp. He wouldn't swing. He goes, there shall be no wine before it's time. <laughs> wow. Um, and he came back and he, he was, uh, uh, I believe a, a special instructor or something like that. He was a hitting coach for a couple of years and Eric Wedge fired him. Mm-hmm. He was, he was so old school, you know, you, he wouldn't go and talk to guys. They would have to come to him if they were struggling, you know? So it was, it, you know, I, I think he knew a lot guys like Victor Martinez and Hafner loved them, but, uh, you know, guys that hit all the time, mm-hmm. but if, if, if he had to come and talk to you, it was, it was a little tough. I think he, there was a little bit of a disconnect there. Right. There's something to be said for too old school. I don't, I don't think that would fly these days. The, the guys sort of need to be uh, attended to a little bit more, uh, more these days. Uh, great. Uh, Hoinsey, uh looking forward to our, our podcast tomorrow. We've got Todd Paquette from Indians Perspective. He's going to join us. Uh, hopefully we've lined up uh, a player or two for the, the, the end of the week. Uh, rumors that we might might get a chance to talk to the wild man himself, Tyler Naquin. Uh, so there's a, there's a couple of possibilities there. Uh, really looking forward to that. Uh, uh, you got any plans for, for the remainder of the week here, uh, here on quarantine? You get, uh, do you get your, get your lawn mowed? Are you, are you all good before the yeah, weather starts that, to go that. south? They stop picking up like, uh, you know, leaves and stuff, yard uh-huh. waste. So I've got a, take it to the dump or something. We got bags of this stuff, so I got to do something with it. Uh-oh. All right. Well, uh, let's make sure we get the, uh, the lawn maintenance taken care of. This is uh, – all the sports writers, all the, all the baseball reporters, their lawns have never looked this good at this <laughs> point in the year because I, I, I can't tell you one, uh, one baseball writer who's had a chance to mow his lawn in, in April uh, that I know of. So uh, every, it seems like everybody's uh, able to do something. And it's the one good thing to come out of this whole whole quarantine mess. Hoinsey, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch again tomorrow uh, here on the uh, Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.